What's up, podcast? Welcome to another episode of Insights. In this episode, we have the second seminar in our Empower You series uh, that's being held in Johnson City right now. Uh, this seminar is on hormones. Uh, we've titled it Hormones A to Z. It's, it's truly a masterclass in hormones. Um, Andy Rogers, the PA in Johnson City, gives the talk, and then him and Dr. Rogers uh, do some Q&A at the end. I think you guys are going to get a ton out of this, especially if you're interested in hormones or on hormone replacement therapy already or are considering it. Uh, there is a lot of value here. So I'm going to let, let you guys get to the seminar. Here is Empower You, the second seminar uh, on hormones titled Hormones A to Z. Good evening from Performance Medicine of Johnson City. I'm Dr. Tom Rogers. This is Andy Rogers, PA. Um, actually, he's my boss now. I just come over to Johnson City occasionally. But um, We're doing this Tuesday night series on Empower You, and it's really about coaching you and giving you knowledge about how to live your life, how to age better. Tonight, we're going to talk about hormone therapy, which is really kind of right in our, that's what we do the best of and the most of, really, is, is bioidentical hormone therapy. I'm sure all you guys are familiar with it, but people that are watching on YouTube or wherever you have this going, hopefully will learn a bunch of stuff, but uh, we've been doing it for years. There's a lot of misconceptions about hormones and um, a lot of great things. That, the one thing I'll tell you about, about hormones because people say, is this natural? You know, is it right to replace your hormones as you go through menopause or andropause? Well, I kind of explain it like this. As you age and you go into andropause or menopause, your hormones decline. As they decline, you decline in every way. It's like nature saying to you, you finish reproducing, start dying. <laughs> that's a harsh way to put it, but that's the way it happens. The problem is we're living too long. We're living a long time. So if you don't live that second half of your life without hormones, you're going to get brittle. Not only your bones going to get brittle, but your brain's going to get brittle. We talk about dementia all the time, Alzheimer's disease. We know that if you're a middle-aged menopausal female, if you're on bioidentical hormones, you're half as likely to get dementia as if you don't take them. And that's something that we fear. And it's really a woman's disease. Four to one over men, women get dementia. My mom died of it. And my grandmother died of it. Um, and we didn't even have it. Sorry. But um, in any event, um, I'm a big believer in hormones. Now you have to know what you're doing. We don't use synthetic hormones. We don't use pregnant horse hormones. We use bioidentical, meaning they come from plants, not animals. They're not foreign to a woman's or a man's body. But anyway, that's my spill on it. Andy will do his deal, and I'll talk afterwards. We'll do questions and answers. Yeah, and I'll do a brief while Dad's still up here. I I think if we do anything well, we do hormones well. I think it is our it is our cream of the crop of what performance medicine does. But also, I noticed that you'll notice that we look alike. So whenever I was training with Dad, this no joke would happen. He'd be like, "I'm gonna go into this room first. I'm gonna talk to them about hormones and testosterone therapy. I'll come out 
you go in. You still pretend to be me. So you still, so I go in and we tried it a couple times to see if they noticed and they'd kind of go like, uh, something's different. But he kept, he's convinced that we are more twins. And I don't know if that's just a diss on me for looking older for a 30 year old or really it's more of a compliment to dad. I know that he practices what he preaches. And, and so I feel like we're very lucky and I'm lucky as a PA to be coming into this a little bit early because usually as a PA in a mid-level, you go through all the crap first of realizing what real medicine is like that out there. And then you come to here and you're like, God, it's good. But I got to just bypass that. So that's fantastic. So we won't tell you anything today that we don't actually practice here at Performance Medicine. So don't you want to look like this guy too? I mean, right? No. Uh, not. <laughs> but anyway. Is that my sweater? And this is Dad's sweater. If you want to shop anywhere in the Tri-Cities, go to Dad's closet. It's Tommy's closet. Uh, <laughs> everything will fix you. He'll wear it a couple times and just give it right back to you. Third time's a charm. So... Anyways, so thank, thank you all for coming. Thank you all for listening to us about hormones. I'm very passionate about it because I take a hormone and I take it 24-7. I take insulin. Insulin. People realize, don't realize that insulin is a hormone. There are tons of hormones in your body. So what I want to do today is just talk about what actually is a hormone because everybody always kind of gives the stink eye when you talk hormones. Oh, you're taking hormones, you're manipulating stuff. Yep. Yes, we are taking hormones, but we're doing it safely and we're helping our body send messages to other organs. That's what we're doing. So I'm going to talk to you about what hormones are, and then we're going to go over kind of like the big five. There's so many hormones, they all come from your brain. Most of them come from your brain, and there's a lot of them. A lot of signaling cascade where one hormone talks to another hormone, which talks to your organ. We won't get really in-depth with that, but we are going to talk about testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, your big sexual characteristic hormones, the hormone replacements for menopause and male menopause, which is andropause, and also thyroid, which is so often undertreated. So there, we're gonna talk a lot about thyroid disease and suboptimal thyroid, and we'll talk about cortisol, the stress. So we're talking about sex, stress, and metabolism today. Those, if you have any other questions beyond that, though, we'll have time for a Q&A. So, Program outline, we're gonna talk about what they are, what they look like in your body, and then kind of what our thresholds are for re uh, replacement and kind of levels that we like looking at. So what is a hormone, does anybody know what a hormone is? Like give me a basic, like what you think it is, like a basic definition. Anna? Mm -mm. Anna's been my go-to, so Anna's been prepped and she's been coached. She's one of those placement people in the audience that you put her in and she's supposed <laughs> to ask you a question that you know. Anna, what do you think a hormone is? I'm not gonna answer that. That is a good question. So you may not know what a hormone is, but you know that they exist, right? Yes. What's the first thing you think about when, whenever, if I say hormone, what's the first thought that pops in your mind, good or bad? I mean, for me, bad. What, what, so what do you think? Well, I think of PCOS and I think bad. PCOS, <laughs> raging hormones, right? So actually testosterone is a big part of PCOS too. So yeah, so you think automatically bad, too much bad, right? So there's something good to kind of know what your threshold is for what hormones are. So we will talk about some of the good and, and the bad with hormones too. So what is a hormone? A naturally produced chemical that regulates your body's function. So it deals with metabolism, we're talking about that today. Energy, stress, cortisol, we're talking about that. Growth, sex, and weight. Think about hormones. Whenever your hormones rage during puberty, right? You're going through a change, right? You're growing. You're getting secondary sexual characteristics, um, becoming a man, becoming a woman. Um, and then uh, your metabolism and, and your thyroid. Everything deals with the regulation of your body. Hormones 
like a balancing act. It's homeostasis. So, and I think I have a slide on this too. Homeostasis is a balancing act. You have to have a balance. Too much, not good. Too little, not good. You want it right in the middle, but the thing is, one hormone can affect another one. Because how do they do this? They are signalers or messengers. So it's the connection from your brain to other organs. And this is what I tell a lot of kids with type 1 diabetes, the lock and key. Insulin is a lock and key. A hormone comes in, goes to a target cell, hits it, and it's the right one. If it's not the right hormone that goes to the right cell, it's not going to unlock it. So it has to fit the key, unlock it, and then a function happens. So that's how a hormone works in your body. It's mainstays. And this is a little diagram of how that works too. And literally in the body, you can see slow-mos of this at a microscopic level. You can see this happening. So negative feedback system. So how does this work? So if this hormone comes in, unlocks and keeps unlocking and keeps unlocking and keeps unlocking, how, we're going to have too much, right? Too much of a response. How does your body know to shut it off? Negative feedback system. If you can remember anything from this presentation, this is my favorite part of why hormones are cool. It is a thermostat. Everybody understands how a thermostat works, right? And everybody's hands are freezing, like mine in this room, <laughs> except for you all sitting right on top of the heat over here. It's so cold in this room, right? Thermostat. How, what does a thermostat do? How does a thermostat... Nikki, mm -hmm. tell me about a thermostat. Up or down. Up or down, right? So if you set your thermostat at 70, and all of a sudden it is 65, what's, your, what's the thermostat going to do? It's crank up the heat right we're too low crank up the heat whenever it gets so hot in the summer you have your thermostat set at 70 and now it's 75 in your apartment are you going to blow out more heat no you'll probably it's going to try to get you down and you're going to turn the fans on it's going to get cool and try to get 70. your body does the same thing with hormones it detects too much or too little so if i send out and i have too much let's give a good one too much thyroid on board so thyroid's with metabolism too much thyroid on board. So I, now I have an influx of thyroid from metabolism. My bowel movements are moving and they move, they're moving great. My, thy, my thyroid's gonna detect I'm doing too much and then it's gonna send a signal to the brain saying don't make more. And then it's gonna shut down that part of the process and make less and get you back to balance. Does anybody have questions about that specifically? Because that is all how hormones work. That is the coolest part about this whole thing. Negative feedback system is how this works all starts in the brain this is your pituitary which sits in the brain so whenever we talk about thyroid i talk about this a lot your brain's got to send a signal to your organs so here is thyroid is thyroid is right there it's going to send a signal to your thyroid to make more here and it's going to send a negative feedback loop to your brain again to say stop making more it's this whole system it's a thermoset system that is how hormones work so Getting to know your hormones and how they work and their functions, we'll talk about the big five, your gonadotropins, thyroid, and cortisol. So this is, I wanted to give you this list because this is kind of a more exhaustive list of just how many hormones in your body. Vitamin D is also a hormone. It's a signaling cascade and a chemical messenger as well. But there's so much that happens in this tiny little organ space right here sitting right in your brain. So there's, God, gonadotropin releasing hormone, there's thyroid stimulating hormone, prolactin releasing hormone, prolactin inhibiting hormone. There's tons of hormones out there. So just know that it gets a little complicated. This is all also called the HPA axis, hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenals. It's all connected. So this is a little bit closer about what we'll do today. Thyroid, your adrenals, which sits right on top of your kidneys, 
And then the gonads. So coming in for, for your menopause and andropause symptoms. First up, testosterone. Oh, God, if I had to choose a favorite, this would be my favorite. I love testosterone. Because the common misconception is that testosterone is only for males. And that's not true. So it's the major male gonadotropin, yes, the major male sex hormone. It's known as an androgen. Uh, its primary boost is in puberty. So if you get the raging hormonal teenage boy who's only wanted to go out and think about sex and has crazy acne, this is, this is what you're thinking of with an influx of testosterone. So it's present in males, but also present in females, just in a much lower dose. We'll talk about normals down here. The normal range for male is from 250 to about 1,000. It's a wide range. So if you are 251 anywhere else except for clinics like this, you're technically not hypogonad. Females, 2 to 45. You could not have any and you're within normal range compared to these are all from Quest lab values. Uh, so what do you think if you don't have enough testosterone? How are you going to feel? So testosterone deals with libido, male sexual characteristics, bone and muscle health, growth, health and growth, and mental clarity. We have testosterone receptors everywhere. We have them in our brain, we have them in our muscles, we have it all along the genitalia. It's everywhere. If you think about the guy going probably 55 years old, he's drinking tons of beer, he's getting the beer, beer gut, he's getting like really thin arms, big belly, not working out, he's a mean, old, grumpy man. That's who you think about, right? That most often is low testosterone. So you can check his testosterone, he could be at 251, you are on the low end of normal. Does anybody know how these lab values work? I wish I, I did not draw a diagram on this, but this is important. This means, that if you fall within 250 to 1,000, you fit 95% of the population that is also drawing these labs. These labs have now changed from 250 to 850. So I've seen some lab values where the higher end of normal is actually 850 because 95% of the population falls within that range of normal. But is it really normal? No, it's not really normal. 251 is not normal. 300 is not normal. We want to be on the higher end of normal. Females, you could have nothing in your normal. And I've heard that all the time. Well, females don't need testosterone. They don't need as much as males because we'll turn you into a male, but they do need just as much for libido uh, and just as much for muscle health and growth rather than central belly fat and to, compact, uh, to um, kind of counteract estrogen because estrogen loves fat. So any questions about testosterone? No, but I was interested to hear from a mutual friend that um, this 55-ish female needed a little bit of testosterone to sleep better. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Never taught that. Oh, absolutely. And that's not something that would necessarily... It was a major big deal in her life. Yeah. Um, and she went through years. Years never figuring out. Years of doing... Um, uh, sleeping aids and prescription pills for sleep and she had a normal testosterone range but replacing testosterone as she was going through perimenopause helped her sleep it's amazing right so manifest oh i had a question the so i've had blood tests taken i've looked at these numbers and is it someone was telling me that um, a test they've obtained from your spit is a better i was just curious is that a better way of testing it's it, that's going to depend on the person dad do you have an opinion on that i always like going with blood samples well, the, what it is is if you're already on a hormone cream 
it may be a little more accurate to represent a tissue level. But as far as initial labs, get a blood test. The thing, I don't do a lot of salivary tests just because once you've eaten, your state of hydration affects it, and it's just very hard to interpret, and I do a ton of this. But if you read the books, if you're on a, like a, a hormone cream, it may represent the tissue level first. But they're expensive, and I don't like them as much. I do, I do like a salivary cortisol level, which you do four different times during the day. But so, is that the do, reason for the fasting? So you have an accurate measure. Yeah, okay, that's one reason. But you, okay. for salivary cortisol, you measure in the eight, 12, five, and ten, because you want to see what your cortisol is doing at different times during the day. It should be high in the morning, low at night. So it wakes you up, low level, you can go to sleep. So if it's, a lot of times it's the opposite. So if you have a lot of adrenal fatigue or burnout, then you have to correct that. And that is one of the first and hardest things to correct is adrenals. You know, that's a tough one. It may take a year to straighten them out with certain things. So the best thing is just learn how to relax and, you know, get the stress out. But there are adaptogens that we use like... Wine. Wine. That's the first adaptogen. But things like L-theanine, rhodiola, ashwagandha, ginseng, um, lemon balm, yoga, meditation. But uh, that's a great question on the salivary because you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of people doing salivaries, you know. But really, the initial blood tests and we do so many, we know how to interpret these blood tests, and the, and the blood tests are not expensive either. So, but great question. Yeah. All right, so we'll go on. So right here, testosterone. I always compare this in in the room with the patient. I say it's like your trainer. So you used to feel like that it was like that the dad and then the mom is estrogen and, and then it got a little weird because you talk about libido so trainers a little bit better so we want we don't want too low and we don't want too high so for males male andropause typically happens around when a man approaches 50 sometimes late 30s early 40s you'll have loss of muscle mass you'll have increased central belly fat fatigue uh, decreased libido erectile dysfunction mental fogginess loss of competitive drive you don't have to fit every single one of these characteristics in order to be qualify as hypogonad or as low testosterone. Uh, for females, remember that normal is 2 to 45, so technically you're not supposed to have any, but you can have suboptimal T levels all the time. Fatigue, decreased libido, sleep disturbances, what we're talking about with Dr. Gorman, mental fogginess, and loss of muscle mass. So if we're on the low end, we treat suboptimal all the time. You have symptoms and your T is not where it should be, then we can get it up there and get it up there safely. Now on the other end, we don't want to get it too high. So what happens when it's too high? This is typically seen when replacement well exceeds the upper limit of normal. I had a patient come in that was getting, and sorry if you're listening to this, but was getting testosterone from an, uh, an online source from a different country. So he's thinking, he just wanted full disclosure, this is what I've been doing. Uh, I was trying to help him figure out how much was happening. So he was ended up after looking at the bottle and looking at uh, the person that he was getting it from, telling him how to take it. He's taking upwards of almost a thousand milligrams a week, which is a lot. And we'll go over our particular dosing. But his testosterone, he felt awful. He thought more was better. So he started off at 500 and doubled it to a thousand. More is not necessarily better in this case. Remember, it's homeostasis. We have to stay balanced. He was flushed, he was red as a beet, he had headaches, he wasn't 
agitated, but kind of felt chest wall tenderness and mood disturbances. His testosterone was upwards of 3,500. So remember, our upper limb of normal is 1,000. But what does testosterone sometimes do? It changes into estrogen. This is called aromatization. So it can change into estrogen, which is if you've had a hormone panel, we always like chest checking estrogen levels. You don't want males to have too much estrogen because it can contribute to gynecomastia or male breasts. Or if a male, males can have breast cancer just like females can, it can contribute to a lump and a growth if it's estrogen receptor positive. So he had weight, his estrogen was in the high 150s, so he felt awful. So more testosterone will not fix that, but appropriate levels of testosterone actually will. So another thing we think of with the flushing and the headaches is that your blood might be getting too thick. So for some reason, specifically to a testosterone cypionate, the most common form of it, your blood can thicken. And so people will, if you're trying to move oil through a vessel, it's going to drip and take a little bit more effort to push it through, unlike water. So that's kind of like your H&H. &H. So we monitor your blood count so it doesn't get too thick. Uh, and monitor your PSA, and you can comment on this if you want to. There's a great book called Testosterone for Life. If you want to figure out how we replace hormones, a lot of it is from this Harvard medical doc that has a great testosterone clinic in Cambridge. And he's, he went through the study, so most common, I thought someone at the beginning was gonna say testosterone causes prostate cancer. And that's a common misconception that happens in the patient room. It's, oh, it's your, you're gonna have prostate cancer from that. The studies that found that it had caused prostate cancers were, were just poorly done studies done a long time ago. This particular doctor looked them up and there were four or five subjects that had already been sterilized that they gave them testosterone and then they found a growth. One or two of them found a growth and that looks like a 50% increase but there's four people in the study. So it's a poorly done study and caused a lot of pandemonium over not replacing that hormone. But correct me if I'm wrong, replacing testosterone can have a positive effect on prostate. Yeah, I mean you're much less likely to have prostate cancer with a good high testosterone level than a low. I mean think about who gets prostate cancers. Old men with low T. You ever seen an 18-year-old guy with T-level out the roof with prostate cancer? No, it doesn't cause prostate cancer. Everybody knows that now except people who don't keep up with things. Another misconception is hard on your heart. I mean, I have sometimes people go to cardiologists and the cardiologist notices their own testosterone and, you know, they say, God, you gotta get off that. It causes heart problems. It protects your heart. It doesn't cause heart problems. Actually, has the opposite effect. You have more receptors in your heart for testosterone than you do in your testicles by about a hundred times. Think about it, the heart's a muscle, it's very protective. So, you have to dispel a lot of myths about hormones in general. If you know what you're doing, they're great. If you don't know what you're doing, like that guy who <laughs> your patient that was taking that much of it, I mean, it can harm you, it can be terrible for you if you know what you're doing, but I will tell one story that, since you told your story, I had a lady, and again, women need testosterone just like men do. I mean, just a lot lower dose. I had put her, this is a 40, mid 40 level fitness lady, worked out all the time, and anyway, I, she had low T, her level was about 16, it should be 80 to 100. Um, she came in, I had, she had 16 levels, so I put her on one milligram of testosterone cream, which is the absolute lowest amount you could take. I saw her a month later, and I checked it, 
it was 850. And <laughs> this, I go, are you getting shots or something? Are you getting tee shots from somebody else or something? What's going on here? I've never seen a level that high on a woman. He goes, no, I'm not doing anything. I go, go through, are you taking DHEA? Are you, what else are you doing, supplements? No. He says, the only thing I've really done is I've been, I ordered this um, fat loss cream from China. And I go, tell me about the fat loss cream. What's it called? She goes, it's called tea cream. I slather it all over my belly and then put saran wrap around it. It's supposed to help me lose belly fat. And I go, you're getting testosterone from China. And, and anyway, the interesting part was that she goes, man, I got to tell you, I feel great. <laughs> and I say, what do you mean? She says, well, for one thing, we own a business. And um, occasionally I have to fire somebody. And I'm emotional, you know, and I, I'll cry for two weeks before I have to go in and I'll, it'll bother me for a month. She said, for one thing, I have no emotions. <laughs> I had the fire lady last week. I went in and just told her, thought nothing about it, walked out of the room, nothing. <laughs> she says, I know how it feels to be a man now. I say, I'm in, so now she's picked my interest. I'm really interested. Tell me more. <laughs> this is like an experiment. Tell me more about how you feel. What do you mean you feel like a man? And she goes, well... The other thing is that I just want to attack my husband four times a day, you know, drag him to the bed. She says, now I know what it's like to be a man. No emotional, hypersexual. It was just hilarious how she felt on top of the world. She'd wake up in the morning and look out her front door and she says, like, surveying my kingdom. So I thought it was hilarious. Obviously, I took her off that weight loss cream. She'll get back to normal. That was just a great story. Yeah, so PSA. PSA. Uh, <laughs> we monitor PSA, so that's why we monitor. Thank you, thank you for that awesome story. Yeah, um, females getting too much, just like you were saying. Uh, think of the hormonal teenage boy or the hypersexualized, non-emotional, 55-year-old female on tinkering from China. You don't want to go too far on that. It can cause some acne, some mood swings, and some abnormal hair growth, too, if we get it too far on the other end. It's hysterical. Okay, uh, moving on to estrogen. So estrogen, it's primary female gonadotropin, a sex hormone. A usual surge is during puberty, and then it becomes cyclical during menstruation. So you'll have the ebb and flow. So estrogen contributes to sh to shedding. Sorry, I got an update. Um, uh, but also contributes to, to mood. Sorry. Uh, I'll turn that down. Uh, so where, where is it? Primarily in the ovaries, but also found in small amounts in the adrenals and fat. So estrogen loves fat. If you just want to put that in your brain, estrogen loves fat. This is a little too, a little picture too, of the influence of estrogen and just where it actually hits. Secondary female characteristics, yes. Protection of the brain, we talked about prevention of dementia. Can't tell you how many people come in and say, I've got all the, yes, menopausal symptoms. I went through the change of life, but you know, I'll see that they're on antidepressants. And most often they got put on these because of menopausal symptoms. And the easy thing is, well, yeah, you're crying a lot. Your mood's up and down. You're anxious, you're depressed. Let's try a little Zoloft. Instead of looking at it, we're, we don't have estrogen on board. So it also protects your bones. Estrogen receptors are all throughout your bones, right? Correct? Okay, perfect. Estrogen's our resident orthopedic surgeon. Yes. So estrogen's all in your bones. You need estrogen to protect your bones. Who gets osteoporosis? 
menopausal females, right? Their fall pathological fracture from osteoporosis. So no estrogen in the bones. It's also in the heart, in your skin, and other tissues too. Range of normal, this all depends on the cycle. So I couldn't find just a really great, here's the perfect part of it. Because it does depend if you're A, still menstruating, uh, and where you are in that cycle. Whether or not you're on day 5 to day 21 is going to be dependent on where your estrogen actually needs to be. What we don't want to see is your estrogen to be crazy, crazy high all the time or crazy, crazy low all the time. But I will tell you that the land values for postmenopausal female, the normal, the normal is non-detectable, less than 15, because you're not making any more estrogen. Uh, for males, typically we see 10 to 40. So there's, again, some highs and lows that we want to avoid. I always say that estrogen is like your mom. You want your mom there. Your mom protects you. Your mom protects your heart. She protects your bones. She gives you some structural fat so that when you fall, you're a little cushioned up, and she just wants to feed you and love you all the time, okay? She may make you cry a little bit. If estrogen is there too much of the time, it's like your mom being there all the time. It's too much. You'll gain weight. You'll feel awful. You'll have mood swings. You'll have night sweats. You can't sleep at night. You'll have breast tenderness and swelling. I mean, it's, it's not good to have too much estrogen on board. Too low estrogen on board is going to be typical menopausal symptoms. The hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, disturbances of sleep, weight gain is a big one. Uh, we talked about osteoporosis and dementia. Males, males have estrogen. Think of it as the opposite of testosterone. We need some, but a lot less. So if we have too little, you can have some sexual dysfunction. Your bones and your heart become at risk. But too high is where often we look at because when we replace testosterone, what can it do? change into estrogen. So we have to block that if that's happening. Chest wall tenderness, gynecomastia, which is male breasts, uh, and sometimes mood disturbances. I had some patients, I don't know if you get the story of saying like, oh, you know, I'm crying all the time now at commercials that I didn't used to cry at. And sometimes our estrogen will actually reflect that. So we have to block, and if estrogen becomes too high, we'll talk about levels specifically later, we can block with uh, drugs like anestrozole or zinc, 50 milligrams is a really great natural, uh, natural reduction. We also talked to, if you want to sh shed a little light on this, the different types of replacement. There's estradiol, there's estrone, and estriol. And the one that we use is estradiol. Right, or in the creams we use estradiol and estriol. But does anybody think that estrogen causes breast cancer? Anybody heard of that link? Everybody's heard of that link, right? Anna? Hello. <laughs> You're the plug-in, you have to say yes. Okay. Yes, yes, absolutely. You yes. have heard of it. Oh my gosh, thank you. That's what everybody's scared of. Now, women are a little more complex than men hormonally because they have four hormones to worry about instead of one. And everybody associates estrogen with breast cancer. Um, but here's the deal with that. There are three different types of estrogen. Estrone is the bad one. It's the one that all the studies came back showing there was a slight increased risk of breast cancer with Primarin. Primarin is pre comes from pregnant horse urine. So when the Women's Health Initiative came out about 12 years ago that scared patients and doctors off of hormone replacement therapy for women, it did a great disservice to millions of women. Because before that, Primarin and Primpro were the most widely prescribed medicines in America. And then in this huge study, what they, they did, they found out was that using Primrin and Primpro, Primpro is actually the culprit, not even the Primrin, because they're using synthetic progestin.
totally different than progesterone. But in any event, in that study, eight more women per 10,000 came now with breast cancer. Eight more women per 10,000 came down with heart disease or stroke. Enough to perk your ears up. But what they didn't tell you was they were using those type of hormones. And also they didn't tell you that half the women in that study were over 65 and smoking. That's what causes cancer, smoking and being overweight for the most part. So it was a very misleading study. And they, did, they didn't differentiate between the different types of estrogen and progesterones. There's a lot of GYNs out there that don't know the difference right now. And so it really scared doctors off of it for medical legal reasons. It did a big disservice to women because they're just protected in every way. We don't use estrone in our preparation. So um, fortunately, there's a lot of people that know this kind of stuff. But the, problem, the reason you don't know about bioidentical hormones is because they're, not, they're off patent. They've been around for 50 years. They have to be made by compounding pharmacists. So the big pharmaceutical companies have no interest in making these. There's no money in it. They can't do it. So, you know, they just forget about it. So the docs don't have any drug reps coming around telling you about it. If you don't take the time and effort to go learn on your own, then you're going to be in the dark and typical doctors say, stay away from those hormones. You're going to cause problems when they don't know the story. So, yeah. And I have a question for you. So, with, with a female with uh, estrogen levels, if you increase those, would it help with bone density or osteoporosis? Absolutely. Or it's 10 times more effective than calcium or vitamin D, 100 times more effective. Sure, it is. And the number one drug that they put you on for osteoporosis is. Fosamax and bisphosphonates, and there's a lot of osteonecrosis of the bones from that. There's a lot of problems. Well, we've been fighting that issue about, you know, the, the medicines that are prescribed for that are usually the side effects are so horrible that you don't even want to. Yeah, a lot of times they very don't feel the right kind of bone in the first place, as Dr. Gorman will tell you. But um, the best way to prevent osteoporosis is not. Don't take calcium either. You really don't need to take supplemental calcium. I take women off of that. Um, I put them on bioidentical hormones if they're low, and I put them on vitamin D with K. If you need, if you need vitamin K to allow the D to bring the calcium into your bones, not your arteries. So if you're taking a lot of just supplemental calcium with anything else, you're, you're really doing yourself a disservice because you form more kidney stones more deposits in your heart of calcium. That's why we do the calcium coronary calcium scoring. Cat scan of your heart to see how much calcium you have in your coronary arteries. So there's a lot of misleading information about that too. So hormones, that's by far better than anything else. And then exercise, then vitamin D with K. Those are the three things you'll do. And some women are so far along in that, there's some other things that Dr. Gorman will tell you, like monthly shots. I mean, those are better than our infusion sometimes if it's really bad. But uh, think about those first. Thank you. Um, next, progesterone. So this is a steroid hormone, part of the progestin family. Um, cyclical elevations, a lot like uh, estrogen during uh, puberty. So you're going to have a peaks and valleys and surges depending on your menstrual cycle and where you are. 
So primarily it's in the endometrial uterine tissue lining. And I often find that if women that are postmenopausal have replacements and they don't have a uterus, they'll just be on estrogen. I think that's a disservice too. The balance between estrogen and progesterone is very important. I often compare progesterone to like your crazy cool aunt. She comes in a little bit once at night to help give you a little bit of weed to make you feel good and help you sleep. That's like the best way. You don't want her there all the time. You get the munchies, you'll be crazy and you'll gain a ton of weight. But just a little bit at night to help you sleep is like progesterone. That's where it works the best. Uh, so what does it actually do? It's thickening the endometrial lining, contributing to retention and production of the egg. So it's helping get an egg in there and help it stay where it needs to stay. But it also contributes to mood too. Mood and sleep are the biggest things I think about with progesterone. Range of normal, same as uh, um, estrogen. It depends on the timing of menstruation. Postmenopausal though, less than one. Normal for a hysterectomy, total abdominal hysterectomy, bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy. Uh, that means all the parts have been taken out. That is menopause. It's acquired menopause. We gave you menopause by doing this. We've taken out all your organs. So that's going to be less than one too. I think that's an important thing to think about. I'm 35 and I had a total hysterectomy. You've been through acquired menopause. You're gonna, and most often they'll put you on some sort of hormone replacement after that. I've had some patients that were given nothing after that. They went through the change of life and since 35, now you're at all those increased risks for dementia, Alzheimer's, right at that spot from what that was. Whether or not that's probably a good thing. A lot of the times too, and you probably can attest to this, the, the, uh, the ovaries will be left. And, um, and it's really hard to kind of balance hormones that way whenever there's just ovaries. Uh, so same thing with your cool aunt. You don't want too much and you don't want too little. Either way, it's going to make you feel crazy. So too low, anxiety, depression, we talked about at the beginning. It's often misdiagnosed with low hormones as anxiety, depression. You'll be put on an anxiety, depression pill from there. But look at your progesterone levels. Uh, too high, estrogen imbalance. So we really want a fine ratio between estrogen and progesterone. This is also something that we don't give to men. We don't use progesterone in males. We don't use it. It's not functional. So that's not like estrogen where you need it. Progesterone is pretty specific. But I also think about weight gain and bloating too if it gets a little bit too high. A note on menopause. So definition of menopause, FSH is another, that's a pituitary hormone. High FSH level and a year without a menstrual cycle. That is technical definition of menopause. You can go on from a placement from there. But acquired menopause, like I just said, can be from a hysterectomy. Perimenopause might be the hardest thing I think we treat. It's a regular menstrual cycle where you're starting to go through the change. It can last up to 15 years. So it just is a flickering of the pituitary, flickering of the ovaries, too much, too little, crazy different menstrual cycles ranging from too frequent to too infrequent with all the symptoms of menopause. So it gets really difficult to treat there because you don't want to be estrogen overloaded because you're still making estrogen. Well, those are just some definitions to think about uh, and for you viewers at home that are going through the change. What? Thyroid, we're changing it. Me uh, metabolism. So we've gone through the big three with sex hormones. Now we're moving on to thyroid. Thyroid is your metabolism hormone. 
The thyroid gland, which I put a picture of a goiter, a big one, so it just means an enlarged thyroid. Your thyroid is this butter sh butterfly-shaped organ that sits right here. If you're going into an office and you're coming for a thyroid and a practitioner is not feeling on your thyroid, they're doing you a disservice. They probably won't feel anything. It's a small, paper-thin organ. They're probably pushing through it, but they should at least be feeling on it to feel for nodules. So just note, when you're being checked out for thyroid, make, hey, You've touched my thyroid, right? And then, and then you'll know. So where, we talked about where it is. Uh, the different thyroid hormones, the two that we're gonna talk about most is T3 and T4. So this gland uses iodine to make T3, or triiodothyronine, and thyroxine, T4. Everybody's heard of levothyroxine, Synthroid, the most commonly used thyroid medication to regulate metabolism. Uh, so functions here, controls, weight, temperature, heart rate, digestion. We'll go over signs and symptoms of hyperthyroid and you can literally draw a picture of a thyroid, hypothyroid patient and a hyperthyroid. They will be exact opposites of each other. Range of normal, and normal cannot be more in quotations right here. This is important. TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone in your brain. 0.5 to 4.5, doesn't seem like that much difference. This is where the difference, 0.8 to 1.2 may mean a world of difference to a patient in terms of symptoms. Unlike with testosterone, 252 to 253 may not be different. But 0.8 to 1.2, you will not be technically hypothyroid if that number is not above 4, not above 4.5. They won't treat you. A lot of doctors will just draw a TSH, not even draw the T3 and T4 and see where your thyroid hormones, if you're actually even making the hormones. Uh, they'll say your TSH is normal, goodbye, you don't have hypothyroidism. To a textbook, you may not, but you may have every single symptom that TSH may be two or, or three, and you're suboptimal. And I think in our practice, it's definitely worth treating. Uh, and another note too, those aren't the only thyroid labs. So those are the most common ones I wanted to talk about. There's reverse T3, there's anti-TPO, there's thyroglobulin antibody. There's a lot of things that go on with thyroid that often aren't discussed. So if these all come back normal, you may want to investigate a little bit further if you're having symptoms. So what are symptoms? Thyroid, this is what a thyroid gland looks like. I think it's so cool. Uh, too much, too little. So you can put totally t opposite people on this side of the room. Hypothyroidism, slow heart rate, fatigue, mental fog, they're cold, they've got weight gain, dry skin, brittle nails, think of the metabolism, the growth, thinning hair, that is going to be constipation. If I had to pick two out of this, people who are cold all the time and constipated. We see that most often. You can say, let's draw thyroid labs. Hyperthyroidism, you're going to be in the opposite way. I've seen two patients in the ICU with thyroid storm where they get too much thyroid sweating, palpitations, <coughs> tremors, weight loss, diarrhea, they look like they are sickly and ready to go. It's a scary place to be. Hyperthyroidism, way less common than hypothyroidism. Much harder to treat hyperthyroidism. A lot of endocrinologists will actually take out your thyroid and give you thyroid replacement as opposed to giving you the medications to block thyroid. It's a very difficult thing to treat. So often we see the hyper symptoms for hypo patients given too much thyroid medicine. Perfect. And another slide note of where everything is going. Um, cortisol. God, sorry about that. Uh, cortisol. So cortisol is a glucocorticoid uh, hormone. This is your stress hormone. So cortisol sits in your adrenals, which sits on top of your kidneys here. 
And so, whatever, okay, so you're in, I just came out of PA school, so you're about to take a test and you're stressed and you're shaking and you're feeling hyper, you're stressed out, right? You're probably gonna eat, right? Your heart rate starts going up, you start uh, sweating a little bit. Um, you're about to take the test, you're, you're, a lot of people gain weight, the freshman 15 during college, stress hormone, increasing cortisol, which increases glucose and makes you gain weight. Cortisol is fine for the natural response of cortisol, but cortisol overload, when we overload it with the stress that we have in our lives now, stress, we'll have a whole presentation on stress. Cortisol, we don't want it there all the time. We want it to be used when it's effective, when it's most effective. So what is it really? Release in response to stress, a release from your adrenals, raises your blood sugar, your blood pressure, your heart rate, your respiratory rate to help you overcome an obstacle. Has anybody ever heard of the fight or flight system? So you gotta run and get away from that dinosaur or that prehistoric, everybody always says dinosaur or tiger. When are we ever running away from a tiger? We're not running away from a tiger. But you need that stress hormone to get you where you need to go. So what it's gonna do? Heart's gonna pump faster, it's gonna get oxygen where it needs to go, you're gonna breathe deeper to get going and move. Uh, you're gonna have blood sugar and blood pressure going up so that your muscles get more of what they need so you can run away. Normal, it's diurnal, it depends on the time of day. If anything I take from this slide, you want it high in the morning, low at night. If it's opposite, hey, what do you need to do in the morning? What's the first thing you do? You wake up, right? You have to get out of bed. You have to wake up. You need that rise of cortisol, stress, an upper to get you up. What do you need to do at the end of the day? Sleep. You need to get down. Cortisol flipped the other way. You're going to have sleep disturbances. You're not going to feel good. You're going to have fatigue throughout your day if you start off your cortisol where it doesn't need to be. Uh, so cortisol, too low, too high. So I put, and you can comment on this too, because I feel like cortisol is a lot trickier than just than thyroid and then replacing testosterone, progesterone, estrogen. Too low and too high. Too low, you can have weight loss, hyperpigmentation fatigue. I put Addison's disease on there because if you think of JFK, he's kind of notorious for having Addison's. Um, just think of this as you don't have enough of the stress hormone to get going the way you. I think of fatigue when I think of too low. Um, there's also adrenal insufficiency too where you can use some adrenal support. Too high, think of Cushing's disease or Cushing's syndrome. Sometimes you can have Cushing's syndrome from having too much steroids. If you've ever seen anybody with the kind of the buffalo hump on their neck that they've gone through uh, steroids, uh, chronic steroids, what happens when you take a steroid pack? You're ravenous, aren't you? It's, a, it's glucocorticoid, it's weight gain, hyperglycemia, osteoporosis fatigue, hypertension. Think of that cortisol that doesn't shut off. So clinically, we can see Cushing's or we can see Cushing's syndrome too. Do you have any comments on cortisol before? I... No, just this is the spit. the The salivary test is I like a good way. Salivary test for that. Just think if you if you can't really straighten out your thyroid and your insulin level, they look great, but you still feel bad. Look at the adrenals. It's something that most docs just don't even think about looking, unless you've got one of the extremes like Addison's or Cushing's, but there's a lot of things you need balance in. And in the stressful world, we see a lot of adrenal fatigue. So it's kind of be hard to straighten out. It can take a long time. Some people I even have to put on hydrocortisone. If they've totally flattened out their cortisol curve, you have to put them on hydrocortisone. I have about five patients that I have to do that with. And that's the only way they can kind of 
make it. But so it's kind of something a lot of people don't think about, uh, but something you ought to think about because it's really important. Yeah. So let's talk about replacing. So I love this. It's a lot. This is a lot. But the boldest one is what I want you to remember. We treat patients when they're symptomatic. Dad has taught me one thing. He says, listen to your patients. They're going to tell you if they've got symptoms. If patients are symptomatic with suboptimal hormone levels, we want to get optimal levels, the maximum effect, lowest risk, and doesn't disrupt your own pathway. And the one example I can think of, young men with testosterone therapy. We're going to trick your brain into thinking you don't need more. If you have the thermostat and you give an exogenous form of heat in the building, you're, you're not going to produce your own heat. The thermostat doesn't recognize that heat versus your own heat. It's going to recognize heat. So we don't want to disrupt what you're naturally making. So we've talked about that. Uh, bioidentical, made from plants. I've gotten this question too. Like uh, I had one patient come in, he was on testosterone, and he says, you know, I didn't like where I was getting it before because I wanted bioidentical, I wanted most natural. I'll tell you, testosterone is actually does not come in a bioidentical form. We don't have, there's something called testosterone USP, which comes in a cream. There's still an attachment to it. Bioidentical means made to look exactly like your body makes. It's usually from a yam. It's usually from sweet potatoes that they make these. Estrogen, progesterone, you can make to look exactly what you, what, what you actually make and you can give it and it's going to work the same way. Testosterone, you have to have an attachment. There's cypionate, there's enanthate, there's propionate. You have to have an attachment to get it to work and function in your body. So if you're at, if you're at home listening to this too, this is important because a lot of people want the most natural way to do things. If you want the most natural way, it will be a compounded testosterone USP cream. But cypionate, those are not the synthetic forms that are going to cause anything. That's the only way they make testosterone. So I don't want you to ever come and feel like you've been misled in any way. Because technically they weren't misled. This is the most natural way of doing things. But bioidentical, made from plants, usually with estrogen and progesterone. The best way to do it is to getting it, get it from a compounding pharmacy. Uh, optimal levels, so testosterone, I like to see testosterone, and these are what I came up with and Dad can uh, chime in too. Uh, males getting in the 700s to 1000s, sometimes we'll see males in the 600s or high 500s who have been in the 90s that feel a heck of a lot better and that's good. But this is a good place to shoot for. Females, I'll tell you it's important when you draw the lab too. You, want, you don't want to give a testosterone injection and draw that day. Your testosterone levels will look crazy waiting until your next shot, waiting until about four to five days after your last injection for testosterone. Females getting in the 60s to 90s, upper 100s, uh, we have some females that get well above that and do just fine without any side effects, but that's a good place to start. Um, estrogen, around the same way, 60s to 90s. Remember, you want her there most of the time, unlike progesterone. We find that about 80 to about one to two is the kind of a nice ratio we find for, uh, for weight control and for mood control. Uh, males in the 20s to 30s approaching uh, estrogen level of 50 is when we need to start talking about a blocker. But getting on zinc 50 milligrams I think is a good way to go. Thyroid, one. For TSH, one is kind of the best place to get that TSH to. Uh, T3 and T4, anywhere between three to four for this active hormone. Inactive is T4, anywhere over one for that. 
cortisol levels, I said it's more diurnal. We want high in the morning, low at night. So that comes with that four-point salivary test we were talking about before. That's helpful to know where your curve goes. But I don't have specific numbers in mind for that. So, okay. Uh, so how we treat hormones. Males, to stop, this is kind of our starting, starting place. We'll, we've got our milligrams of mine too, which we talk about in the room, but we do testosterone cypionate in an injection once weekly. I see often at other clinics coming out, um, a lot of out of endocrinology clinics once every two weeks. Cypionate is a great five to seven day drug. So testosterone, I would do an injection once weekly at a lower dose rather than once every two weeks at a higher dose getting it in there and letting it work is going to be best. Pellets are another thing too that we'll talk about. It's another form of testosterone that's very, uh, very effective and it goes, it's a small little incision you put into the hip and the pellets slowly disperse over six months for males. Females, nightly creams or pellets. We'll sometimes do injections every two weeks for females. It's not the best way to do it, but some females really like it. We can do weekly, it's just gonna be a much lower dose. But we find that the nightly creams are the, honestly, female pellets, I think, are the best way to go about it. Estrogen, females, we do bioidentical creams. Pellets, we don't routinely give estrogen to males. We just stop it from, if we're doing something to block it, we'll back off if it gets too low. Uh, progesterone, same thing, bioidentical creams or tablets. There's not a progesterone pellet, and this is the only by mouth hormone that we use in this practice. We find that it's safe. Think about things by mouth, it's got to be metabolized somehow. And what's it going to hit? Your liver. So you have to check liver enzymes with anything going through your mouth. So we go through different routes because it bypasses what's called first pass. Thyroid replacement, I think, is very important. We go with T3 and T4 replacement. Everybody and the mothers is on levothyroxine or Synthroid, and a lot of the times it doesn't work. It's the inactive form of thyroid. It's only T4. Doing both of these at the same time is going to give you the actual hormone. So Armour, NatureThyroid, MP, or WP Thyroid, uh, I've seen one or two patients that haven't done well on those. They tried it, they got palpitations, and they felt better on Synthroid than we go with Synthroid or levothyroxine. Uh, but we find that most often this combo replacement is best. Cortisol, I put stress management. Stress management for cortisol, practicing meditation, mindfulness, yoga, um, water intake. Really de-stressing is going to be the best route initially. There's adrenal support. There's something called adrenal that helps out with adrenal um, fatigue and insufficiencies. And then like that said, some medications like hydrocortisone to help out with that. That's typically, this is just briefly what we go over. Um, and that's it. I think that's it. How are we doing? Okay, we're right at like seven. Questions? Sorry, I talk, we talked a lot about hormones. Hormones are complicated. There's a lot. We, all that information was about five of your hormones, five systems, and there's so much more. So we just want to give it the time and the due diligence for it. But we want to spend time with questions, please. As much questions as you want. Yes. I'd like to ask. Yes. Um, I've been Please state your name, state your age, if you've been through menopause. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Do I need wine for this one? No. Okay, no. I would be, I would be, uh, I would be Dr. Rogers' wife and Andy Rogers' mother. Yes. I've been on pellets for a long time, but my question is like, um, how, like, am I to expect a big change in the amount of hormones I'm going to need as I get 
older. Like I'm six, almost 62 right now. So like, is, is it gonna be my expectation that I'm gonna need pellets more often as I get older or am I going to need them less? Probably the same, unless your weight changes a lot. I mean, you know, you should. And this isn't you, something you build a tolerance to. Some medications, if you take fentramine, you take fentramine every day. That class of drugs, you're going to require more for it to work. It is, it's not the same with replacing hormones that the more I use, the more I need. You may find that it may take you a little bit to get to the level that's optimal for you. Or depending too on your activity, I find that with testosterone, the more metabolically active you are, the high endurance athletes, you burn through your testosterone more quickly and you'll require pellets more often. Yeah, you start working out a lot, then you may burn through them a little quicker on the pellets. But pellets are my favorite, male or female, because um, you don't get those highs and lows. It's kind of a consistent release. And also, the thing about the pellets, which was the first way they ever replaced testosterone. 70 years ago was pellets, believe it or not. But when you need them, you draw upon them. Like when you're working out, you're gonna draw more testosterone out of that pellet. It works with your metabolism. So with the shots or creams, I don't like testosterone creams in men so much. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it requires it a lot. It requires it just, a lot of actual substance to put on your shoulders, and you do have to let it dry. Some men will put that on and then put a baby right on there, and that baby will absorb it if they put their cheek on it. So the absorption is important. It does have to dry. I just think clinically I haven't seen that much efficacy using tea creams in men. But um, in shots, I do like the shots. You do tend to get a peak in a trough, but that's why sometimes I'll split the dose and do it twice a week even sub-Q, so you can definitely do that. And sometimes I use a blend of enanthate and cypionate, which is kind of a good deal. But um, the pellets are great. It takes us about a couple minutes to get them in, maybe, and they last for typically, you know, four to six months, depending on your metabolism. Um, so I really like the pellets a whole lot. Um, you have to know what you're doing. I never start out with pellets because once they're in, they're in. I usually like the creams first, or the shots and men to kind of determine if you're going to need an estrogen blocker, which I can put in a pellet for a man. So I do like the pellets. We end up doing probably four to six cases every day of pellets. And uh, most people, if they ever go to a pellet, they usually don't switch back. But, um, so it's just interesting. You know, hormones are complex, they're misunderstood. They're essential if you want to age. I feel like you're well. describing me complex. <laughs> very individual. Probably have a high individual. <laughs> After performance medicine, yes, I do. Please and thank you. <laughs> Any other questions? Can I just make a comment? The book that you recommended, Testosterone for Life, I read it at Dr. Rogers' recommendation. And so and I think the audience here appreciated the fact that that was recommended. But, uh, he is a urologist, Dr. Morgan Taylor, and writes plainly. Um, it's a quick read and echoes everything that y'all have said, but the thing that I learned from seeing you as a patient, Dr. Rogers, is you've got to measure the free testosterone. And you could comment for the ladies on estrogen, but so I go to a primary care doc um, and they just check uh, testosterone level. And in a sense, treating the lab test, 
because it was normal, but in a lower range. Mm -hmm. The free testosterone, the bioavailable breakdown product thereof, is what needs to be measured, and uh, I know you'll measure that. But you might comment on the importance of that, treating, and you've mentioned treating the symptoms, not just the lab value, but for those other hormones, if you have to do the same thing, or is there? That's a great point. Yeah. You know, uh, you know if you come, if you have a low total testosterone, you don't even need a free T. You know you've got low T all the way around. But if you have a T level, say, of 500, which is medium range, but you have all the symptoms, you better measure a free testosterone and a sex hormone binding globulin. Because a lot of it will be tied up in the inactive form. Really, only 3% of your testosterone works anyway. It's called free testosterone. I'm glad we, we need to bring that up. Yeah, it's time. yeah. It is the free T that works. So you're right. If you have a normal testosterone level but have symptoms, you better check a free testosterone. But if it's low, if your total's low, you got low T no matter what. So academically you could check it, but if you want to save money and not draw the other levels, you could. But great point, great point. Free testosterone. At what age do you just, uh, start checking these things? It's a good question. It's not routinely checked. It's not routinely checked unless you ask about it or and have symptoms. You wouldn't believe how many young people I treat with hormones. I see so many thirty-year-olds with low T. What causes it? Well, we live in a toxic world. I was talking to the ER doc today that I think you may have sent to me, but um, concussions can cause low T. Lack of sleep, shift worker syndrome. I have a lot of guys that work shift work that they all have low T because they don't sleep. Um, poor diet, obesity, um, trauma. Um, the T levels we see now are probably a third of what we saw 50 years ago. Sperm counts too. I mean, these guys that lived 100 years ago, their T levels are double what we have now. We just live in a toxic, stressful world that brings your T levels down. Um, what you eat, I mean, you know, a lot of what we eat is so estrogenic, it's unbelievable. That's why I tell people to avoid soy products. It's too estrogenic. That's why, you know, this junk food that everybody eats, that's why you see eight-year-old girls starting to go through puberty. They've been eating McDonald's burgers with all the estrogens in it. It's really unbelievable. So I start checking, that's a great question. Generally, if you're symptomatic, I'll check them at you know late 20s, 30s. Um, otherwise, you should start checking it in your 40s to see kind of what it does, especially on the women. Men are easy to treat. We need testosterone and it just slowly goes down. Women have four hormones that cycle, so they change. And the first one to fall off is progesterone. So what happens is you become estrogen dominant which is, is bad for your uterus. That's when you get uterine fibroids. It's bad for your breast. That's when you get fibrocystic breast disease. So in the 40s for women, because they, the last thing that's gonna drop off is your estrogen level. That's when you get the full-blown hot flashes, night sweats, period stop. You're in menopause, but you need to treat it early. So if you have a high estrogen level, your estrogen dominant, you get them progesterone. It brings the level down of estrogen. So, you know, it's, it's really, 
And being on the forefront of it, starting your starting in your forties, and then start treatment, and yeah. not shutting down your own access. You can give younger males HCG twice a week, and it helps boost your own natural testosterone projection, uh, production. Yeah, a young guy will try to do get their own going before we give them supplemental testosterone. We, you know, we try to do it right. I found, I think, six prolactinomas since I've been doing testosterone therapy for the last twenty years. And so you have to, you have to really, if you have a really low T level in a young guy, you better check a luteinizing hormone and prolactin. Uh, that's a brain tumor, prolactin is a brain tumor. So I found six of those just because they came into me for low T. So, you know, you have to look at everything. You can't just go to, I know there's all these low T centers around, but you really need to look at the whole picture if you want to do this right. Uh, and that's what I think would do a good job of performance medicine of, you know, looking at the whole big picture. Not just, yeah, here's your tea. You know, you got low tea, here you go, give you the tea. If you do that, you really, you can mess somebody up. So, anyway. Any other questions? Perfect. Thank you all for coming. Yes. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, we will see you guys next time.